All right, biohackers, who doesn't love a yummy, creamy whey protein shake? Oh, it is such a treat. And I really love it as a meal replacement, post-workout recovery, maybe even a midday snack. So this is why I have to tell you about Puri Protein Powder. I absolutely love the bourbon vanilla flavor and the chocolate, but I think I got to go with the, the vanilla as my favorite. So it's smooth, it's delicious. And you know what else? It's pretty awesome that the flavors come from real natural ingredients like the bourbon vanilla seeds from Madagascar. And let's talk about quality because there's a lot of junk whey protein on the market that I would not recommend. So the Puree whey protein, it comes from pasture-raised cow's milk with no hormones, no GMOs, and no pesticides. This is because Puree's mission has always been to be the best at offering pure, clean, and superior products that, that support health and well-being. And what I think truly sets them apart is that they are fully transparent with their product testing. Every batch is third-party tested against more than 200 contaminants and certified clean by the Clean Label Projects. Not all brands can say this. Plus, each product contains a QR code so you can personally scan it and review the test results at home. I know you're excited to try it out. So what you're going to do is head on over to puri.com slash biohackerbabes. That's P-U-O-R-I.com slash biohackerbabes. And then make sure you use promo code biohackerbabes at checkout to save 20%. All right, let's get back to the show. We're digging deep and asking the questions we need to ask. Years of stress and not just emotional. I was depleting my body. I was malnourished. I'm working out like crazy. I'm eating all these healthy foods. How could I not be well? We have to get back to the basics. We can change the way our genes are expressed. Anyone that wants to improve their health or upgrade their health, they should be biohacking. My name is Renee. And I'm Lauren. We are the Biohacker Babes. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. The Biohacker Babes podcast aims to create insight into the body's natural healing abilities strengthen your intuition, and empower you with techniques and modalities to optimize your health and wellness. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode eight. Today, we're going to talk more about nutrition because we've gotten some great feedback that people want more on the topic of nutrition. So today we're going to dive into a little bit more on how to start off your journey. So we're going to talk about some testing options, how you can use quantification to find out the best diet for you. So before you make any dietary changes, we always recommend either doing some baseline testing, getting your nutrient levels tested, finding out some really good key biomarkers, or maybe even just journaling where you are today. That way, when you do make dietary changes, you can see, are there changes? Do you feel different? Or are we seeing changes on these quantification strategies that we have? Yeah, I'm so excited about this. I love testing because I love to get real data. I like 
real information and proof that I should be doing something or not doing something. And I think there's so much in misinformation about nutrition and just a lot of confusion. So many people are confused about where to start. And this is the perfect place just to start testing to give you some real answers based on science. And it can be the beginning of, of a beautiful path to your health and wellness. So I'm really excited that we're getting into this sooner than later. So what we're doing with testing and quantification is we're eliminating the guesswork and we can analyze your genetic data or your genes, which we've talked about before, your genes and how your genes are expressed by using different types of testing or even just as Renee said, using a, a, a journal to write down what you're eating and how you're feeling. But this data can help us figure out what your body is predisposed to be doing. So it can tell us how to get better quality sleep, how uh, we can respond to stress, what the optimal diet is for you, your ideal workout. It really goes on and on and on. And this is how we are going to optimize. This is human optimization by finding our own unique blueprint because what works for me is not going to work for you. What works for Renee is not going to work for you. So we have to figure out what your unique and individual code is by using these tests. So to get a little deeper into this, uh, we're going to talk about gene variants. Gene variants are also called SNPs, and these SNPs inform the way our bodies react to the world. It's how we metabolize food, it's how we eliminate toxins, how we absorb and utilize nutrients, how we react to exercise. I'm already um, repeating myself a little bit, but I just want you guys to know that we all react to things differently. So this information is indispensable. It is so invaluable to have this data and information. And there's a lot of ways we can do it. So we're going to jump right into it, Renee. I'll let you. Yeah, Lauren, that was a great introduction. I think just a good reminder is don't go after that fad diet that's popular today because again, everyone is different. Let's go ahead and dive into the testing options. So to start off, we want to talk about food allergies, food sensitivities, and food intolerances. So this is a really big topic because I think people just assume a healthy food is healthy for everyone, but based off of your gut health and overall health, you could be reacting to different foods. Now, food allergies, this is your IgE immediate reaction. You know, we think of where your, your throat swells and your eyes swell up. You know, that's the immediate thing that we all relate to food allergies, but these food sensitivities can happen up to 72 hours after you eat the food. So it's this delayed reaction. It's IgG which many people aren't tying together. It's hard to remember, okay, I have a headache today. What did I eat two and a half days ago? You know, it's kind of hard to think just off the top of your head what could be causing these issues. So there's a couple options for testing. Number one, there are some physician tests. So if you have a physician that you uh, are working with and can order tests for you, we like Great Plains, Alcat, Biotech, those are all really good ones. And if you don't have a physician, you can actually do some testing on your own, whether you just order it online, have it shipped to you, and then you go get your blood drawn or you do just a finger prick at home. Some of our favorites here are Life Extension, Everly Well, which Everly Well I think is in every state except Maryland and New York, which probably a lot of you are in Maryland and New York, unfortunately. But there are some ways around that. Just ask us how you can do that. Also Cyrex. And then Lauren, I know you really like your lab work. That's a great website. If you can't afford testing, really easy hack and it's free is to do an elimination diet and keep a really good food journal. So when we talk about elimination diet, 
Um, I do recommend that you work with a practitioner, but if you are ready to be a biohacker and take this on, you can just cut out all the junk, all the gluten, dairy, sugar, soy, alcohol, caffeine, really get back to basics, your good, healthy protein, healthy fats, lots of vegetables, some fruit. And then every week you're adding a new food slowly in journaling to see how you react. This actually can be done. It does take a little more detective work versus the testing is much faster, but a lot of people do it and it's great. And then another option here is the blood sugar challenge. So our blood sugar fluctuates greatly based on what we eat. And it's not just about you know the glycemic index, how much sugar is in the food. It's also if there's this immune response. So we can see that with blood sugar. So by testing your blood sugar before you eat a food, immediately after, and then two hours after, you can see and learn a lot of information about how you're reacting to that food. And a really good test, if I can throw this in, or I'm sorry, this was in Rob Wolf's book that we both learned this, where they took a couple groups and they tested how people reacted to bananas versus white bread. And you would immediately think, well, of course, everyone's glucose spiked on the white bread, but actually in some people, it was the opposite. The banana caused the spike and white bread was fine. So that just shows you everyone's different. You got to be testing and figure out what works for you. I love that book. It's called Wired to Eat. And it really explains how it's not our willpower or our discipline that is wrecking our food goals. It's something deeper. It's definitely our genes and, and the way that our bodies respond uniquely to these foods. I do think that the GI index is a little outdated in that way because the variables are actually too constant. I'm, I'm not really sure where that index initially came from, but it's as if they tested it on one person. So everyone right. reacts differently. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense that the GI index of one food is, is the same for every person. It's not true. So yeah, the right. blood sugar testing is really important. That's actually my favorite hack. I'm sorry to skip ahead. We'll talk about that a little bit more, <laughs> but I'm so glad you brought that stuff up. Uh, and if you guys want to read an amazing book, Wired to Eat by Rob Wolf. Yeah. And one more thing about the delayed reaction. Just remember, it's not always digestive reaction. So people think, well, I don't have any you know, gas, bloating, constipation, reflux, heartburn. Like I don't have any digestive complaints, so I must not have any food sensitivities. But remember, a big majority of these actually show up as skin rashes, eczema, headaches, migraines, fatigue. You know, there's a lot of other things we have to look at. So don't rule this out just because you feel like your digestion is on point. Yeah, so many different things. I had a really good friend that was experiencing some like fuzziness in her eyes. Like she felt like she couldn't focus and it sort of affected her her brain focus as well and her mental capacity. Hmm. Come to find out, well, I actually... I think we both advised her to cut the gluten out and it was almost immediate. Do you remember this, Renee? Almost no. immediately she stopped experiencing those symptoms. And then there was testing wow. later on, but just by trying that opportunity of removing gluten, which she had no idea was affecting her because it wasn't hurting her stomach. There were no digestive issues, no bathroom issues, but it was affecting her in other ways. She removed it and it went away immediately. Mm. Yeah, I hear stories like that every day. It's, it's really amazing. powerful. Yeah. Great. So yeah, food allergies and hypersensitivities is the first way we can start looking at this quantification. The second way is analyzing your microbiome and intestinal function. So most of your immune system is housed in your gut and what's happening in your gut directly affects everything that happens in the rest of your body, mainly your brain via the vagus nerve. 
we really, really are getting a lot of information these days about how your gut is affecting you. It's really an exciting time to be uh, or to have access to the science. And there's a lot of lab testing now that is very available to the public. I mean, testing in general is becoming more accessible, personalized. Nutrition and health is becoming more accessible. I'm not sure what the change, what change happened, but it's really awesome. And so there's these companies such as Viome, which we're really going to talk about a lot, that will test your microbiome at home. It is, I'm not going to leave out the details, it is a bathroom test. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> it's yes. going to give you some really powerful information on what is happening with the bacteria in your gut because there are millions of bacterial cells in your body that inform everything. So this is a really powerful test. Um, it's going to tell you essentially the health of your gut, uh, what the population is because we need a diverse population of gut bacteria. It can bring awareness to some of those food sensitivities. So I don't think this is an NLBL for the food sensitivity testing, but it does give you a little snapshot of that and can also give you some suggestions on supplements and foods to avoid and also to add. Another great one is called Ubiome. We'll just lift Lissy's off. Uh, please do your own research, but these are the ones that we know a little bit about. Functional Diagnostic Nutrition also has a GI screen and then GI map. Renee, I'll let you talk about GI map. Yes, the GI map test. I really like this test. We do it in the practice that I work in here in Vegas. It gives you a really good broad spectrum overview of what's going on in the gut, whether there's too much, you know, good bacteria, bad bacteria, yeast, fungus, parasites, viruses. Um, like I said, it's really a good overview of what's going on in the gut. And it helps me a lot with clients because we can see, is there dysbiosis and what exact dysbiosis, like what's overgrowing in the gut? And then we can, you know, tailor diet and supplements from there. So GI map, it does need to be done through a practitioner, but if you find one that does it, I really love it. I think it gives you great information. Yeah. So this is one of those cases, obviously everyone should have a physician. We don't want you to not reference your doctor anymore. We just want to introduce the fact that these lab tests are becoming more readily available. So th there is stuff that you can do on your own, but definitely speak to your doctor about it. The FDN test, the GI screen, you can do bacteria, yeast, fungus, all of those fun things, H. pylori. I can order that, but it is through a physician, which is cool because there's some support on that side and they give you pretty detailed recommendations. So contact either of us if you're interested in doing those. Yes. And actually that's a really good point. I, I just got a new account with a lab where I can order tests through a physician online and they have a new gut test, but I haven't done it yet. So I'm going to test it out, see how it is. But like you said, the lab testing options are becoming much more available for everyone, which is really exciting. The next option for testing is genetic testing, which we talked a little bit already, but um, it's really in its infancy. It's an exciting new path, I think, of where science is going. But for now, there are some good options. We really like 23andMe. It's pretty affordable. Anyone can order it online. It's just a saliva test at home. And from there, you get a lot of good information, but if you want to go a little deeper, you can take the raw data from that and then plug it into other websites like DNA Fit, 
also foundmyfitness.com by Dr. Rhonda Patrick. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about those later when we get into our personal journeys. Those are great options. Awesome. And the last one we have on our list is just keeping a food diary because we can spend money on these tests. Some of them are uh, less expensive than others, but your own data gathering is going to be your most powerful tool. So just tracking what you're eating, the symptoms that you're having surrounding that meal, what you're feeling before, during, after, any bit of evidence you can gather in regards to food, how full you are, what you're experiencing uh, with energy. This is all information. And over time, what you're going to get is a baseline comparison. And we're looking for any outliers that would indicate an imbalance from this information. Uh, I am going to say it's always helpful to do this in conjunction with an elimination diet or some sort of positive change to your diet. Because I think when our bodies are in a state of stress in survival mode, if we're not eating healthy, if we're not making good choices, it's not going, we're not creating an optimal environment for our bodies to speak to us in this way. And we're not going to get the signals or these outliers that we're talking about that are really going to let you know that something is off. So it does help to start making some sort of positive change by cutting the crap out, whether that's just an easy cut the sugar, um, cut the gluten, whether you're sensitive to it or not. It is an amazing experiment that everyone should go through at some point. Uh, just making some sort of change and tracking these changes, gathering as much data as possible. And you really can find out a lot just on your own with a piece of pen and paper. So as we said, there's so much research out there and all of these tests, mainly the genetic testing, which is the most exciting, are really just starting to get some momentum. So stay tuned to updates and we will definitely keep you posted on this stuff. There's a lot further for it to go, but it's an exciting time. I'm so happy that you guys are here with us on this journey to start exploring this information. Yeah, like you said, the genetic testing, we are watching it grow and something new to keep an eye out for is epigenetic testing. This is really new. It's probably not going to be, I would say, a normal thing for the public to be using and testing until maybe five years from now. But keep an eye out for it because it's actually looking at all of the genes and what exactly turns the genes on and off. So different foods and exercise, et cetera. So that is the future. That's so awesome. Which leads us to how it makes you hotter. I think we probably already answered this question, right? But we're... <laughs> We're using our genes to work for us instead of against us because what works for me doesn't work for you. So if we can turn on the genes that make us healthier and turn off the genes that are potentially hurting us, we're creating a foundation for health and hotness. So eating foods that we are allergic or sensitive to cause inflammation as an example. And inflammation, as we have discussed before, is the root of most illnesses. And it's probably the number one reason you can't lose weight. So if bananas cause a sensitivity in your body, even though that is quote unquote a healthy food, that could be creating inflammation in your body and creating um, some other effects that are, are not getting you to your goals. So I want everyone to keep an open mind here. We're trying to take these labels off of food. We're trying to take off the good or bad labels because a food cannot 
be inherently bad. It's only bad if it's producing a negative effect in your body and if it's not in alignment with how your genes want to be expressed. So that is the biohacking element in all of this. We're trying to figure out if it's good or bad for you. There is no good or bad in the general spectrum of things. So we're trying to ask those questions, dig a little bit deeper as we always do, get more information and how it's going to react in your body. And then you have the answers, right? So we've done this work where, uh, well, Renee and I are still on this journey as always, but we found out a lot of information from these different tests. So Renee, I'll let you start us off with what you found out. Yeah, Lauren, that was great about the good and bad foods. Love that. So a couple of things, like we mentioned, we've done, you know, 23andMe, DNA Fit, and then Found My Fitness. Those are my top three. And because we're sisters, <laughs> a lot of the results are quite similar. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, but a couple that I learned about that were really helpful in my journey, um, I would say number one, the APOE gene, which is linked to Alzheimer's. So you have two alleles and I'm a E3, E4 which means I do have a slight increased risk for Alzheimer's because of the four. Um, you could be a two, 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 three, 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 four. Um, so that's a really good test just, you know, so I can be more aware. I have to watch my saturated fat intake because of that. And then I do a lot of other lifestyle factors that help protect my brain, get good sleep, exercise, sunshine, all that good stuff. A couple other things, let's see, I do have a slightly increased risk for developing type two diabetes, which we do know runs in our family. And this was a fun one. I'm likely to wake up around 8.04 a.m. to be exact. <laughs> that's funny. Mine said 8.05 for me. Yeah, that's so funny how they tie it. Remember. Yeah. But it's but, true. I actually do wake up naturally at that time. Me too. I love waking up at 8. If I could do that every day, that would be incredible. That's so funny. <laughs> I wonder how accurate that is for other people. We're going to have to start asking around. I know. Yeah. If anyone's done the test, please share. I want to hear how, how that goes. Yeah. Even like 7.30 feels early for me. Oh, That's not a morning so person. Funny. <laughs> I just want to interrupt for one second. I mean, I'm going to get to my stuff too, which is the same as yours. I have ApoE34 gene and also an increased risk of developing type 2 diabetes. But I like that you already introduced the fact that you can change these risk factors by things like exercise, um, looking at your saturated fat intake and before everyone runs home and and like throws out everything with saturated fat because we know there is this new awareness that saturated fat is not all bad please don't take this as um, a blanket statement we're trying to look at how this affects each of us differently and we're not eliminating saturated fat right we're just using this information to look a little bit deeper that's cool that you introduced that yeah and a little more on the saturated fat so if you're curious about it it's the fto gene that's the main one that they these tests look at and it just shows that you have an increased uh, risk for obesity if you eat too much saturated fat and then the apoe we know that saturated fat can affect the brain so mm -hmm. good to know definitely want to stay away from gaining weight and becoming obese that's such a problem nowadays so definitely limiting my saturated fat another really interesting one is BDNF. So it's looking at brain-derived neurotropic factor. This has a great connection to brain function, obviously. So I do have a slight risk um, that affects my short-term learning, but a great website to learn more about this is Self-Hacked. And I learned that with this gene, I actually can improve it through sunlight, exercise, yoga, meditation, DHA, which comes from fish oil primarily, and then resistant starch, which is, oh gosh, I could talk like for a long time about resistant starch and how important that is for everyone's gut. But Save it. Another episode. We will. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I think, sorry, I, I kind of shared a lot of mine. Lauren, do you want to jump into some of yours? Because I know they are a little bit similar. Uh, well, I'll just go through the 23andMe since, yeah. So I have the APOE 3-4, increased risk for diabetes. I have a variant in age-related macular degeneration, but this is interesting. 23andMe says that it's not likely. So I like that part about the test. It will Even if variants come up, it will tell you if it's likely or unlikely. And then just some other like interesting things on there. It says I'm unlikely to flush from alcohol. Caffeine, yeah. it says I'm likely to consume less, which I had an interesting correlation with some of the other tests on DNA fit. It says I'm a slow metabolizer of caffeine. So I can see that link there. Yeah, I'm the same with caffeine. And I think that's why like 3 p.m. is my latest cutoff for caffeine. If I have it after three, totally ruins my sleep. Yeah, the half-life there is real. It's definitely yeah. six hours. What else? Uh, it's, it told me that I'm likely to not be a deep sleeper. That is no surprise there. I am not a deep sleeper. Uh, likely to wake up at 8.05 a.m., as we said. And then also on DNA Fit, I have a reduced detoxification ability with char-grilled meat. I did a post on this on Instagram. I think people kind of freaked out because I said that I was going to consume less bacon and it wasn't really about the bacon. It was about the way that bacon and, and meats like that are cooked sometimes. I personally have to avoid like blackened meats, anything that's charred, anything where there's that extra toxin release. Yeah, I had the same one and mom had it as well. So there's definitely a genetic component there, but there are some hacks for that. Like I know one thing is if you use rosemary, before you grill. I do that sometimes. I love that. Yeah. Amazing. And there's some other things about like the way you marinate that you can offset a little bit, but yeah. I mean, of course, none of us should be eating char grilled meat every day for many reasons, but. Right. Can I throw one more really cool gene in there that I forgot to mention is the Fox 03 gene. This is so cool. So there, they have linked this to longer lifespan it's kind of like the anti-aging gene. Um, they found out that a lot of individuals that were over it, over 90 years old had at least one allele of this gene, hmm. which is interesting. And I, I have always wondered because, you know, we have our, our great aunt Kay, who is turning, I think, 95 this year. Yeah. Um, grandma's 93. I mean, we definitely have some some good genes there. And our other grandmother, she's almost 90. Like we definitely got the, the good genes there. And I'm so curious if the three of them have the FOXO3 gene. Maybe I have them yeah, today. We should I don't know. I think, yeah, I had that gene as well. I really like that. I'm all for increased lifespan. Woohoo. <laughs> so cool. Oh, found my fitness. Did you already bring this up? So found my fitness, Rhonda Patrick's website, which will take your raw data, which you told me about Renee from- Yeah, for $10. Like I said, I always recommend starting with 23andMe And you can even do the ancestry part, which is really interesting. So do the ancestry, do the health and start with that and see how much information you learn and what you can change from there. And then if you want to dive a little bit deeper, like we said, for $10, go to foundmyfitness.com, plug in that raw data, and you'll get a very extensive report from Dr. Rhonda Patrick. Yeah, it was almost a little over my head, but there were some similarities and crossover and a lot of their results, which was cool. Again, like the slower caffeine metabolism, the APOE gene. I thought this was interesting. I have two different genes. One is an increased endurance capacity, and another one was a decreased endurance capacity. Hmm. What does that mean? (laughs) 
I just think that means we have all of these genes and sometimes they're obviously turned on or turned off. Right. But I think what's really important here is that just because you have these genes doesn't mean you're going to get it, right? We're coming back to epigenetics and gene expression and the biohacking. We can affect these genes and the way they're expressed based on lifestyle. So what I get from that is that I could go either way based on the way that I choose to live my life and the, and the choices that I make, right? So I could give power to the gene that would decrease my endurance capacity, or I could give power to the one that increases it, depending on my choices. Right. Yeah. And that's a good point about another gene that we both have is the one that increases our risk for type 2 diabetes. In conjunction with that, I also found a gene that says I'm very sensitive to carbohydrates. And it recommends that I stay on a low carb diet, which I have found works for me. I kind of do moderate protein, lots of really healthy fats, not so much the saturated fats. And then I do watch my carb intake. And it's funny, the other day I was like hanging out with some friends and uh, making some new friends. And someone was like watching me eat. And they said, what, do you not eat carbs? Like, oh, I'm like, well, actually, genetically, (laughs) I'm not supposed to eat a lot of carbs. Um, and like mind your own business. People make assumptions and judgments and yeah, it's okay. I just laugh it off. Do you? Just do yeah, you. So, so sometimes you got to do the low carb thing and it's not just about the fad. It's the science. Yeah. But you know, experiment, eat it, track it, test it. And that's really important with all of this, this testing, you have to test the baseline. And then if you're going to use these hacks to try to affect some change, then you have to test again. That's the whole point of this. That's the biohacking is using the quantification, see if it's working because it's not guaranteed to work for you. We have to figure out what works best. And that's just through experience, trial and error. And we're trying to give you these hacks to hopefully jump ahead just a little bit, but you're still going to have to do the work on your end. Well, and one good thing is like you said, you have to retest. Genetic testing is the one testing you don't have to retest. So invest in it, do it and then you're done versus obviously the gut testing and the food allergy testing that can change over time. Yeah. Especially the gut testing. I mean, changing your microbiome and the gut population really can change dramatically. So that's one to keep an eye on. I guess one thing I don't want to skip over is sort of how I got interested in this. I think when the Bulletproof Coffee fad came up, I I jumped on board because I love this idea or I loved... I guess some proof that coffee was good for you because I, I love it. And at one point I thought it wasn't good for me. And so when Bulletproof Coffee came out, I was like, yes, I can have my coffee in the morning. It's going to make me smarter. So I started adding the MCT oil and the butter to my coffee. And I really didn't feel that great. And I thought, oh, I don't know. Maybe I have to just get through the change. My body's just trying to get used to it. But I, I noticed like my brain felt a little foggy. It always hurt my stomach a little bit. And I honestly didn't experience any increase in energy. And I found some other people that have experienced that same thing, where some people just feel really amazing on it. And that's probably connected to my genes and how I don't tolerate the saturated fat, like you said, Renee, as well. So it's just not a good choice for me. So again, if you're going to jump on a fad diet, make sure it actually is going to work for you and don't ignore the symptoms and don't ignore these signals that your body is screaming at you. Yeah. I had a really similar experience with the Bulletproof coffee because we're sisters. (laughs) It's not for everyone. I mean, I still use MCT oil. I think it's really beneficial, but I've just had to shift my coffee intake to a different time of the day and the way that I do it. So I have made it work for me, but 
just that standard approach first thing in the morning bulletproof is not for me. Let's get into some of our favorite hacks. We've already given you a few, and I think we honestly should do a whole nother episode on each one. But um, yeah, definitely some- the gut, the whole gut testing and elimination diet. I think that could be a whole episode. But just some like blanket hacks for these tests that we we got into. Renee, what's your favorite? Yeah, I think for my journey, two tests that were really helpful. Um, I originally did the Great Plains IgG food test. It was right in the middle of my journey where I couldn't figure out what was wrong. Why was I having all this brain fog and fatigue? And I was getting frustrated that I couldn't figure it out. I was trying to do somewhat of an elimination diet the best I knew at the time. I mean, this was a long time ago, Um, but I couldn't really pinpoint any foods. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to pay a couple hundred dollars, get the food test, figure out what I'm reacting to. And it came back and I wasn't reacting to anything. So for me, it was like, oh, okay, I can check that off the list. It's not some weird almond or strawberry food sensitivity that's causing all my issues. You know, So sometimes when you're really sick, just crossing things off the list is really helpful. So that was helpful for me. And then more recently, I did the GI map test. And again, it was good confirmation that I've been taking really good care of my gut the past few years. I mean, I did take a lot of antibiotics, you know, as a kid and teenager. So I kind of was worried what I had done to my gut, but my GI map was really good. I didn't have any, you know, pathogenic bacteria, fungus, yeast, parasites, nothing came up. Um, The only thing I have learned about my gut through that test and Viome was I am lacking a little bit of diversity in my gut, which again, could be from the antibiotics could be from taking too many probiotics. Yes, probiotics are somewhat controversial. I've never really understood why we're picking specific strains of bacteria and throwing them in the gut. You know, I mean, there's thousands of bacteria. Why are we picking three strains and put, putting those in? That doesn't make sense to me. So I don't know if maybe I affected my diversity through that. So I'm always working to add more prebiotics that are going to feed the good bacteria, and that helps with the diversity. Um, I was also kind of a clean freak as a kid that can affect it. <laughs> so I've learned the a lot most, about my gut. <laughs> the most. I can stand by that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I couldn't oh. even share water with you. If I took a sip oh of your gosh. water, you were like, I have to take it immediately to the sink and get a new glass. Yep. Yep. Even family members. I was like, don't touch any of my stuff. I had hand sanitizer on me at all times. Oh. <laughs> Incredible. So and now your cats walk on your kitchen counter. Oh. Yeah, still trying to train them. That's a nightmare. No, but it's good. I, <laughs> I've heard that animals having animals having pets in the home is actually very good for your microbiome. A little bit of yes. dirt, a little bit of the outdoors is is helpful to all of us. Yeah, less allergies, less asthma. So there yeah. you go. Cool. What about you, Lauren? My all-time favorite hack, which I've talked about before, I'm probably just going to keep repeating it until everyone mm-hmm. buys one, is the Keto Mojo blood sugar testing. It also tests your ketones, but in for the sake of this conversation, the blood sugar testing is super helpful. I haven't found anything, any particular food that really truly made me spike that was surprising to me. They're all pretty, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They were all pretty expected. Mm. Um, other than a yerba mate shot, which is a little energy shot in that yellow bottle. I love those. They have like tons of vitamins in them and they have caffeine from mate. That thing shot my blood sugar up so high, I could not believe it. I was like, wow. I need to run to the gym right now and like run and get my blood sugar back down. 
but that's so, fascinating though. Yeah. Cause I didn't huh. feel, cause I, I'm pretty in tune with the way that my body feels. And I've, I've always thought that I had a sense of my blood sugar being high. Like, Oh, this is what it feels like. My blood sugar is higher. My blood sugar is low. I actually have learned so much by using this keto mojo that those symptoms or those feelings that I was attributing to higher low blood sugar were so off. Like there are times when I feel very hungry and my stomach starts growling and I just feel, I don't know where I'm getting this from, but I, I thought I was feeling like a little weak and I've tested it and it's completely normal. I'm probably just going into fat burning mode and I have attributed those feelings to like the wrong thing. So the testing has been really helpful, but that was really cool to see that I guess excessive caffeine really spiked me. It probably mm. doesn't spike most of you, but for me, that was a learning experience. I'm still learning. I'm still testing new foods all the time. So I guess stay tuned if I have any more revelations. But really, everyone needs to go buy one of these. It's so easy. You can do it right at home. It's a small finger prick of blood. I know a lot of people don't like needles. I don't know. I'm going to say get over it because it's invaluable. It's so easy. I was scared the first time and then I did it a couple times. I'm like, oh. That's it. <laughs> yeah. You get used to it. But really cool information. Yeah. That's my favorite. Yeah. And I think um, the keto mojo can be really helpful for a common question I get is, can you have coffee when you're intermittent fasting? So, you know, you're trying to do like maybe the 12, 13, 14 hour fast, but people naturally want to wake up and have their black cup of coffee or maybe coffee with MCT oil. This is different for everyone. Like you said, with the caffeine, if you test your ketones and glucose, you will know if you can have coffee when you're fasting. Yeah. Simple answer. Yeah. Just answer your own questions. So cool. Yeah. And then, I mean, all the other testing that we already talked to are, are my favorite hacks. That's why we brought them up. And so if any of you are interested in doing this, we're going to uh, provide the links for all of these testing options. So the food allergy sensitivity testing, uh, the microbiome testing, including Viome, the FDN, GI screen, GI map, 23andMe, DNA Fit, Found My Fitness. You can find all of these links in the show notes so you too can start doing them. Keto Mojo. If you have any questions, email us at biohackerbabes at gmail or DM us on Instagram. I think we went through most of the basics today. Yeah, just to wrap this up, we're really excited about all of this lab testing, especially genetic testing. It's really going to be an important part of our healthcare moving into the, the future. It's becoming more accessible for everyone, and this knowledge is power. That's all I have to say about that. And I think these prices for the testing are also going to start to go down. It's going to be way more affordable for us. So hang in there, stay with us on this, on this journey with all this new science coming out. It's super exciting. Okay. To wrap it up, we just have one question for our Q and a today. This is actually a question I get a lot. So this is perfect. Is it worth getting a food sensitivity test done? I think we talked about that a lot today, but I think it's different for everyone. A big change here or deciding factor would be uh, finances. If you don't have the money to buy a food sensitivity test that can be anywhere from maybe two to $400, just get a journal. But if you're going to do the journaling and elimination diet, you have to be so aware and so uh, meticulous with tracking everything that you're eating, every little ingredient, timing, reactions. Um, it can be done. You're kind of like the Sherlock Holmes of your diet for a little bit. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, but it's free. So I would say either go the free option, but it's going to take more time and awareness, 
Or if you can shell out a couple hundred dollars, just do the food sensitivity test. You'll get the answer much faster. And I have this really crazy story to share real quick. I had a client that we tested her for gluten and casein, casein, which is the protein in dairy. She reacted really high to both of those. So I put her on a gluten-free, dairy-free diet. She took them out really fast, but her symptoms weren't going away. I'm like, what is going on? So then I recommended a full panel. Came back, she was really sensitive to almonds. She was eating almond milk, almond butter, almonds as a snack. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So sometimes it could be a weird food. It's not just the typical gluten, dairy, sugar. So good to know. Yeah, I hope that answers that question. Very cool. This was fun. Yeah, again, if you have any questions, email us. We're going to provide all the information in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us and stay tuned for more. Thank you so much. See you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. Happy biohacking.